This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. Today with me is my co-host, is the amazing C.R. Rice, who's putting away Christmas trees behind her. It's great. Yeah. There's seven. <laughs> it's really funny you move your head and there's Santa Claus. I think that's like the big reveal. <laughs> Santa. Okay. And our guest today is Winnie Winkle. Woo! So let's talk about what we're drinking. I am drinking again from our sponsor, Skunk Brother Spirits. I decided to mix the lemonade with the Viking Lightning, which I drank on the last podcast without mixing it into things, which was a terribly bad plan for me. I'm just... Not a moonshine sipper, but Skunk Brother Spirits Viking Lightning. It's actually pretty good in the fact that it's completely disguised in the lemonade. So I feel a disaster coming on with this. But don't forget, you go to Skunk Brother Spirits, you get 10% off with coupon code DWA10. While I still remember my name, I'm going to mention that. CR, what are you drinking? I am doing, I'm still on my green tea and vodka here. You have to try it. It is really, really good. I will, but it maybe I'll do green tea and Viking Lightning next time. I'll just keep putting Viking Lightning Ooh. in things until I... Until you find... Now, see, I got to know, based on your cup, because I have that cup, and it's not a big cup, how much is lemonade and how much is the Viking Lightning? That's how much lemonade, or is that how much Viking Lightning? I'm not even sure anymore. It's pretty much fire. Like... You know that tang light um, lemonade has like that side of sharpness? Mm-hmm. Magnify that. And that's what's what's happening right here. Like every sip I take is warming my entire body. So there you go. Woo, go team. Oh, I won't know my name too. It's cool. Winnie, what are you drinking? I am drinking this. Oh, there we go. Whiskey Acres Bourbon. Ooh. Oh, there's Straight a great bourbon. Thing a great story behind this if you guys have a minute oh yes no we have tons of minutes yes i went up to my brother who lives in northern illinois and he said i found this place i want to take you and i said let's go so we drive down to uh this little farm well it's 80 acres you know a reasonable size farm but small by illinois standards um and they've got this big sign up front that says whiskey acres and i'm like what are they growing here and he said they're growing corn i'm like uh, okay but you know so anyway we did the tour and it turns out that all of the really snooty bourbons are made in the Louisville Kentucky area right yeah the artesian farm that feeds down through Louisville goes right under this little farm in Illinois so they're tapping the same water and brewing bourbon that's quite good and and has lots of interesting notes and then they send the rest of the water down to Louisville. <laughs> All right. Well, well not bad. educated. Not bad. That's amazing. I was surprised because I went to Nashville to visit my daughter over the Christmas period. And the amount of moonshine places like was unbelievable to me. And then when Skunk Brothers was like, we're gonna we're gonna be a sponsor, all this stuff. Um when they sent me the boxes, it was like bottles and bottles of cordials and moonshine and whiskey. And I was like, 
Where, what is this moonshine thing that's happening to me? Because at home I have from old Tennessee whiskey, blueberry pancake moonshine, and I haven't opened it yet. So I, I thought Tennessee was whiskey and moonshine, 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 no whiskey, moonshine. Actually people love moonshine. I mean, we went to a really cool conference in Arkansas and this guy showed up with about 36 mason jars and so i tried butter moonshine and pomegranate moonshine and watermelon moonshine and some others that i don't remember i was gonna say how many did you get in before you stopped remembering what you were drinking about three i think i could five all together but those last two didn't really register but wow. yeah no, I, I had a friend that made strawberry moonshine and apple moonshine and it really, honestly, I, I heart you, Brad, if you listen to this podcast, but that tasted like gasoline with a little strawberry or gasoline with a little bit of apple. I was like, whoo, whoo. And he has an apple pie one that literally tastes like apple pie. I don't think that's a good thing with moonshines, though. No, like, moonshine should not taste like <laughs> candy or something. I think that's a terrible plan. No, it's it's really bad because yeah. it's like all moonshine. You only need a little bit, but then you don't realize that you drank more than a little bit. And yeah, then, like, no it's tomorrow. <laughs> well, the uh, stuff I drank tasted exactly like whatever he said it was. The butter pecan, like butter pecan and the pomegranate tasted just like excellent pomegranate juice. It was very dangerous. Mate. <laughs> it sounds very dangerous. Like that would be, well... What, who am I kidding? I'd do it. You know me. I'd be like, Let's do this. <laughs> I don't know what I'm drinking. I don't know anything. Okay. Let me, let's talk to the fans about what you write. What do you write, my friend? Well, I write three different genres. Uh, I write humorous fantasy. I write literary fiction. And I write paranormal or paranormal sci-fi romances. I have. Wow. Do you write these all under the same name? Yeah. Because I'm. I really thought a lot about this because most authors that I talked to were like, you cannot do it that way. If you write, you've got to write under separate names with separate websites. And over time, you can introduce your readers to your other website. And I thought, oh, fuck that. There's so many hours in a day and I'm publishing four books a year. I'm not doing that. That's insane. So I'm in the middle of a huge rebranding right now, which is pretty cool. But what I did was I sat down and thought about, kind of created a, a reader montage of what each reader of those three genres that liked my voice, what was that person like? And I came up with about 120 traits per person, per reader of the three genres. And then I went through and I graded them. So they got a one or two or a three, depending on how strong that trait was, I thought. And I put all that on a spreadsheet and I sorted it. And I ended up with about 25 traits that they shared. So that's going to be my brand. And that's how I'm going to do it. So my brand is me. And what I give the 25 traits that feed those readers uniformly. I'll do deals, you know, and discount stuff for my paranormal peeps and something for my literary fiction folks. And, and definitely the humorous fantasy ones on fire. So that's the one I'm writing the most into right now. But I don't think that readers need to be separate anymore. We have everything on this in this world is trying to split it up in boxes. And I'm like, screw that. So let's just find where we are intersecting 
And then, you know, if you, if you're a romance reader, do or die, and there is nothing else you're going to read, honey, I got you, I got six out. You know, if you want to try some paranormal that doesn't have a romantic ending, I got you there too. I got three of those and a fourth one coming out in March. So, you know, I think that it's okay to be one author as long as you market correctly toward the people who enjoy your craft. It's okay to just be you. I think I think that's true. I think they're my personal my personal belief, my personal anyway, um, is that there is I think there are some lines that get difficult depending on how people um what they're looking for. For instance, I write humorous erotica and horror. There it's it's a little bit to do that jump, especially because the people who read my horror suspense, it doesn't have a happy ending. It's usually pretty gory. It's whatever. To then pick up a humorous erotica book, I I just I find for my thing, you can't, but I, th I love that you're doing that. I think that can be great. It just depends on whether or not you know how to market, you know how to market it well so that you can communicate and the, you, your readership doesn't get confused. I think one of, I, I haven't cyber stalked through all of your stuff, but I think one of the biggest things that I see that people make a mistake of is they don't cover well. They don't do their cover art well to kind of indicate what book it is yeah. that you're picking up like humorous things have a certain book cover to them paranormal has a certain book cover to them that you kind of recognize as a reader and go i know what that is right and then if you if you put a humorous erotica cover on a horror book that is not going to help your readership whatsoever for instance identify what group they're in i think is it a funny horror book see no. sometimes i think they <laughs> as humorous edges to it so it would be kind of what you wrote if you could cross it over or not but yeah. i agree totally that you've got to be completely honest with the so i'm gearing up to do a big website overhaul and in my newsletter i've been starting to tease things like i'm going to pick the header for the website i'm going to be building a new logo and some things and i'm really bringing my website people along with me giving them contests to give me feedback on what they want or what resonates with them, not so much what they want, because ultimately it's my brand and I have to figure out what's going to work. But yeah. you know, I, and they are sending me these wonderful emails telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is the best reader outreach I've ever done. And it's been so basic. Just here's three choices, you know, and I'll give you a book. I'll draw one book out each newsletter, not two books a month. Wow. When did you start writing? When did you start doing this entire craft? Well, I started writing a book in 2004, but my children were fairly um, underfoot. And it was my first attempt. And I stopped at about 60,000 words. I still really love the book. And I think it could be a generational trilogy. Um, but I stopped it. And, and that was, I would... I really didn't know anything about genres when I started to write it, but it, it's a fantasy based, probably I could call it contemporary, but if I'm gonna do generational, I'm gonna have some historical elements and I'm gonna have some futuristic elements. But um, I love, love, love the story. 
but I write some threads of social justice, social discontent, things like that into my stories, not in confrontational ways, but in, in ways to say, here's complicated problems presented in a fantastic realm and give readers a chance to kind of process that and decide what they think should happen while they're reading the stories. And so that one was just full of it. And I thought, I, I'm just, I'm not ready to write this. You know, I have this idea in my head, this complicated stuff, and I don't want to get it wrong. I want to get it right. Now I think I could go back and finish those books because I've done this kind of threads through my, through 10 other books. But um, I'd actually published my first book in 2018. In 2018? So you started in 2004 and then you, 14 years later, you got the first one out. 2006, but yeah. Okay. And was that the book you started writing initially? Because I know you said that you had started a couple. So when did you start the one that you released? In 2018. That's quite a wild story too. I, I hope I'm not like hijacking this off your questions, but. Um, it, it, have you, if you've listened to this podcast, it, it, there's no script. We there's a very good chance we're going to be talking about hippos at some point, like for no reason. So go for it. Oh, grab your drinks. I'll be yapping for a minute. Um, <laughs> I went to a the Orlando Read Books Conference in Orlando, Florida in 2018 as a VIP reader. I just wanted to go and get good books and yap with authors and sit, listen to some panels and, you know, just basically have a girls weekend. I was a really good friend of mine. And... I ran into S.E. Smith. Do you know who she is? Yes. Okay. So anyway, Susan and I completely hit it off. So it was just yep, 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 yep for the whole weekend. And she said, well, if you really like to write, why don't you look at my stuff on Magic New Mexico and see if you think you can write into my world. And if you can, write a few chapters and send me a contract and I'll read what you've written and I'll decide if you could, are ready yet. So this is awesome. <clears throat> Her published date is October 16th. So I went home. I decided, well, before I even write anything, let me see if I can write a sex scene. And that went well. So I so I wrote pretty much <laughs> the book and did what I considered her to be a good at it, which now I know was probably totally atrocious, but Susan is a very kind woman. Um, and... So I did the contract, I sent it off and she came back and she said, go for it. So I finished the book and got a friend of mine to look at it who actually couldn't proofread worth a shit. And it was, still wasn't great, but it was okay enough. And so I got my first book up. I have since gone back in and cleaned up some of those things, but that was the beginning. And then I wrote five in a row. Susan was releasing into that world. She had four release dates a year and I wrote in October and then turned around and dropped four more that in 2019. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I don't I you know I've got such a squirrel brain. Uh, it's like if I'm on it, I'm on it. And if I'm not, I'm like flailing around on the floor looking at feeling tiles and doing weird shit. You know, I'm just such a Pisces 70s girl. But anyway, um I hate to say so, that I'm also a Pisces slash 70s girl. So cool, cool, similar. <laughs> but anyway so then I was just like wow you know I kind of thought I've just done five pretty good romance books they're selling well and and I know a lot of that's 
Jesse Smith's support, but I was also getting lots of good feedback and I thought, you know, I'm going to try to write something else. So I wrote Boogie. And I think looking back, um, that was where I started to find my voice because she is snarky. She is a fatalist. She just is like, okay, whatever. This is where I'm, you know, this is the shit that's on my shoulder. And, and I love her. You know, Cleopatra O'Keefe is my kind of bitch. I just want to hang out and drink with her. And so, uh, but, and that just really took off. And so then I felt like I was kind of at a crossroads because I had developed a romance audience. And now I'm writing something that doesn't happily ever after, you know. Um, I had romance in it and some decent sex, but it wasn't. <laughs> I wanted to explore the idea of having a character I could develop over multiple books, which really is a romance river. It doesn't matter. You need them to all together and happy ever after, or baby on the way, or whatever the you know story is supposed to be. And then they're done, they're out. And I'm just, I want to know what's next, you know, not the fighting and the bickering and the 20 extra pounds, but the I want to know what's going on in that girl's head. And I like writing strong females. So just having them hook up and have that be it. I needed to write more at that point. And so I shifted gears. And doing that actually fostered some pretty good creativity. I ended up writing a really nice literary fiction um, centered around losing my own mother. I use that as kind of a, a wellspring to write that book. And I think it's, it's quite a laudable book. It's really well-written. Um, but it also freed me up to write these fantasies. And, and then I went back and I wrote one more paranormal romance and I'm writing my fourth into the humorous fantasy series. So I don't think I'm gonna stop writing in multiple genres. I like them all. It, that's fantastic and I think that if you what you're doing is great I think and that's part of the reason we even have this podcast and talk to authors is to go how do you do it it doesn't have to fit in a mold I'm a firm believer that it shouldn't fit in a mold it doesn't have to it's just what can be successful and it depends on the effort like you just you know you talked about putting all these traits together and doing a spreadsheet and there are some authors that if I said that to them, like, okay, well, if you're going to do this, you got to figure this part out in order to make sure that you're doing your mark. And they'd be like, I'm just going to do another name. <laughs> down that hole. To me, that's insane. It is so much work to cultivate, genuinely cultivate an audience. I mean, you can just go out there and do book funnel promos and grab some names. But if you really want people to be invested in your ride, you've got to cultivate it. And you do that by being genuine. But if you're genuine and they're not your audience, you still are not going to resonate. You know, you, you need to cultivate both sides of that equation. You need to be as real with your readers as you're comfortable being. But at the same time, you need to have the marketing correctly and you find that route. You've got that receptive audience. It's like buying tickets for a Bobcat and Goldthwait show and then going and see Lawrence Welk. You know, I mean, it just doesn't work if you didn't 
make the two sides meet in the middle. No, that makes sense. I uh, want to have a poll for how many people listening to the show know who either of those two people are that you just listed. <laughs> I just hate that. I'm going to be 60 on my next birthday and I'm just cringing all over the place with that crap. As she opens the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like good. Well, my next question for you is, um, you so you really started in earnest in 2018, right? 2018, 2020 hits. How did this, um, what is sort of going on in the world, affect you as a writer? I blocked for half a year. Couldn't write a word. Just... It was, and I was in the middle of the second book in the Boogie Beach series, and I was so blocked. I it was just, and I know it was, you know. I mean, I'm sh shut in my little condo in Daytona Beach, which I'm grateful for. You know, staring at the ocean is not the worst way to get through a pandemic, and I'm not complaining. But it was not good for my craft to feel so unmoored and vulnerable. I just could not get my feet under me, and and. So when I sent my second book to the editor, <laughs> my editor is such a great editor. And I'm like, Jenny, this is fucked up. Help me, you know? And she did because normally she's able to, I, I write pretty spare and I've never had her say, cut this or this is way too fat, cut the too, whatever, wordy, wordy, wordy. Never get that at all. It's always, I need more. I need more. I need more which I'm fine, you know? Um, but with that one, she's just like finding all of these plot holes because I was just losing my threads and I'm a pantser. So I'm not even conscious I've lost that thread. If I'm in the fold, they don't seem to drop from me, which is also another thing that I'm very thankful for. Um, I really, I think it's from years and years and years of reading that I've just kind of got plot structure baked in so I don't lose too many but boy that was a tough book and I was kind of doing the whole introducing a broader cast of characters because I was setting up three four five six and seven by expanding the world but it took me a while to get that one published because I really wanted it to be right and with Jenny's help and several back and forth <laughs> several <laughs> we got that book to be really tight and i i'm amazed that the i get readers they say you know i really enjoyed the book but i loved the second one and i was like okay good because everything that's kind of coming i think set up into so i'm excited that they're getting it in that she was so patient and thoughtful with her editing to give me the kind of support that that book needed to succeed. That's very cool. Then how did you sort of find yourself or find your voice again through this? Because it sounds like that was a little difficult one to get through. But fast forward, now we're several years, unfortunately, into this situation too. Oh, going on three, I guess, at this point in time. Um, and uh, where did, how did you get to the point beyond that point for yourself? I lost my joy 
when we were all so sick and worried and scared. And this is a happy book. This is a funny book. It is just loaded with, you know, little snarky thoughts and one-liners and little digs. And, you know, everybody is sarcastic in this book. And what happened for me personally is I tipped really hard onto the social justice threats because they were somber and heavy. And so that really solidified across the book and hooked into two and went on into three. But all of the fun was out. And that's where Jenny was, she's just like, what happened here? They were flirting up a storm and now they're like, you know, two guys in church, fix this. <laughs> like, oh my God, she's right. You know, there was no lilt to the book. And so I, I guess, again, you know, if, if you're going to have a problem, making it more funny is a good one to have because then you can just sit there and laugh and fix it. <laughs> Cool. Very cool. Okay, actually, we have to take a break. We will be right back with our new doctors. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. So we're back. Do you, um, we're okay. Well, I just got three thoughts ahead of myself. Do you self publish? Yes. Okay. What made you choose that route? Because you went and you were published initially through somebody with your books, right? Or were those all self published? Self published. Oh, wow. So you, you started off in the glorious world of self publishing. Um, so what was that like? Well, the reason I went that route was impatience. I had written books and was writing more books. And I sent some books out. To, I pitched to agents and stuff. And I thought, you know what? I am not getting any younger. So I didn't want to put three years into curing these excitement. It's like, if it takes you three years to get I don't think we're gonna work out here, Sheila. So, um, so the, the, the self-publishing thing was as much as I write at a frantic pace and publishing to keep up with me because this is, I, I go into squirrel mode and I want to just know, you should see my Google Jamboard where I plot out my year. 
I mean, I could just call it squirrel and every it would make perfect sense. But that's how I stay organized. I know when every book is supposed to, how many words are going on every book, how many hours and every day on marketing. And that keeps me in my lane so that I can write on schedule, release on schedule, actually support that release on schedule, build my newsletter list, do some conferences, take some time out to go hang out with my honey and just, you know, have a life. I haven't gotten this far after doing the whole frantic mom thing and the whole crazy um, corporate thing to, to quit. I'm writer, you know, just grab myself by my invisible balls and jump off to do this life. <laughs> to just wait around for somebody to publish me. No, that's the right way to look at it. I, I, you know, I think everybody's path is different, but I think that if you do want to get your work out there, I don't think a lot of people realize how long publishing or tr I would say traditional, I'm using quotation marks, publishing can be, especially with an agent, because it's not like you get an agent and your book is sold and then it's published. And, you know, you may be working on book four or five and the publisher is taken on the first one. And then, you know, it's this, it's this whole thing. So if you're willing to wait, great. But if you don't have patience, I think self-publishing is absolutely the way to go. Did you have a lot of guidance down that path or did you just headlong right into it? I'm going to do it. Well, I'm a relatively talented researcher, which is part of why I'm a good answer is like, I can kind of be in the flow and grab a fact and drop it in and keep rolling. But so with the how to traditionally publish, I did a great deal of reading, you know, and I explored manuscript wish list and read a lot of agent bios and, and different publishing houses and, and reviews and comments and uh, boards on different places. And I really did come away with a sense that anything original was super highly valued. They pretty much had an idea of what they were looking for. And if you had happened to thread that lucky needle and had written that book three years ago and it was ready to go, you might get a contract. And then what, get $5,000? Well, in this- Not only that, but like series get dropped all the time. Like if the first book doesn't sell, your series is done no matter how good of an offer you are. Right. If they, it doesn't sell or it doesn't hit what they think it will, they'll just tell you they're not interested anymore. Well, and I think traditional publishing is undergoing an unwilling metamorphosis. They, oh, no. don't, they don't want to change, but the world is changing around them. And the whole, and I don't want to see bookstores damaged because of this, because they're, a lot of the reason the publishing is as as it is, is because they're to market into bookstores but i think small bookstores are more nimble and they're more willing to put you in a niche of you know local author or florida author or you know blended genre and and just set a stack up for that they've got if they've got space they're more willing to work with you where the big box you know the whole concept of big box whether it's been hardware or retail or, or you know whatever Look at Circuit City is a good something that tried to take on 
uh, Best Buy and places like that and got munched. You know, they're, they're dinosaurs and don't know it. And, and big bookstores could all be dinosaurs too, unless they figure out how to tap into this indie change that is affecting books. Because Amazon is just reaping it because publishers and big box retailers are not being nimble. Not only are they not being nimble, they're refusing to be nimble. And Amazon is just like, give it all to me. They've just are filling a void. And so as long as that's how we can get this creativity published without having to jump through an archaic set of hoops, and by no means am I implying that every indie author is fabulous. There's some real crap out there. And Amazon is reaching, re, uh, reaping some of their issues because of what's happening with Kindle Unlimited. There's a lot of crap on there. The quality is not good or, well, I'm not, that's unkind. The quality is inconsistent. And so that's gonna affect readership on that platform yeah I, th I i think you know saying it's inconsistent i think one of the biggest things you know and we've we've talked to authors and you know there is a process and not the story or anything like that i'm not talking about the vision or the voice of the story i'm talking about there is a craft that involves editing that involves typesetting that involves proofreading that there are steps, regardless of what the hell you write, that you need to do in order to have a quality product come out the other side of it. Mm -hmm. and, and you have I to have efficient people do it as well. Because, you know, a lot, of, a lot of indie authors, they have, like, friends read their stuff. And so they can go through and they're like, yeah, it sounds great. But, like, if they don't necessarily know a lot of the grammar things, like, as, a, you know, as an author, like, you don't realize that some of the things you do all the time are actually wrong like the way you write, the way you talk, the way you do those things, but somebody who is more grammatically correct and things like that, like it makes your work come off poorly. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think that I, I love that there's voices out there. And that's, I mean, we st I started a publishing company two years ago for that exact reason is to bring the publishing apocalypse. I'm totally tired of the way it's done. And I'm also tired of the way Amazon does it because I think Amazon takes advantage of a lot of authors too by the way they do it and their metrics and everything and their day will come as well. But when I look at it, I go, you have authors such as yourself who are going to research, who are going to do this, or are going to be able to self-publish their books and do a good job of it. I have several authors that are, you know, uh, been on this podcast or fans of this podcast I'm friends with that do fantastic at self-publishing. They just do amazing. But some authors just want to write books. They don't want to get into all the minutiae you have to do to actually get a book uploaded and get it out there and do the edit, you know, all the stuff that goes along with it. And I think we have to change it so that there is an avenue for those authors to tell the stories they want to tell and not my, the thing that I, when I hear this from authors that like causes me to go into a blackout rage is that they wanted to change the story that somebody came and told them that their story now tweaks to the story a great editor kind of goes, hey, you left a hole. You did this, by the way, Bob, the character who's in 
the first third of the book just disappeared where the hell did bob go did you do that intentionally you know because there's some things especially as pantsers that were like and later somebody's like did you mean to do that and then you can go yes i did and this is what i was trying to do but i i've had people i know that traditionally published it they hate the cover they hate the title of the book they were given they were told to change parts of the book. They were told to add some part of the book. They were told to take this main character that was a male, blah, 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 make it into a female or vice versa, where it's no longer art. It's like if you're doing a painting and somebody comes in and goes, listen, love this painting. We're going to need you to add some red to it. And we actually need a dog in the corner here, but it needs to be like a pug and I need to know the eyes need to be blue. Like, and you just go, you wouldn't do this to other artists. You wouldn't come in and tell a sculptor, listen, I know you're doing statue, David. Appreciate it. Listen, can he be holding some grapes and maybe like a cantaloupe? But, you know, okay, never mind. I don't want the cantaloupe. Take that off. Like, you would. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's writing isn't like a custom thing. Like you don't, you don't get to do those things. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think that's interesting. So when you um, went down this and started giving your cover art and all of that stuff, what was it like the first time you held one of your books in your hand, your hot little hand, the paperback book? That was pretty exciting. That was the only time I ordered um, proofing cup was on my first book. And so I still kept one of those. It's just like the author piece or something. Whatever Amazon did back then. Um, but it's kind of funny because I was already writing book two. It, it, it's, I mean, I'm just like sitting on a, in a, in a barbecue with my fire. And so I was really, really proud of that book. But I was so much into book two, they weren't connected, they were romances. I was already kind of forgetting that book. And that was so weird to me because it had been like sun, moon, and stars for, you know, those intense weeks to get to meet that and see schedule on that first book. And that's when I realized trilogies speak to me. So I had said, said I marketed my first book as a standalone and then I my characters back in and, and made it a trilogy and put my main character in the first book as a side character in book two and three and really fleshed out her story. Um, my oldest friend, and by old, I don't mean she's old like me, which she's actually older, but uh, we've been friends since we were five. She was born in January, I was born in March, so she is older. And, <laughs> and when she listens, she'll make sure she knows that. <laughs> that thing you say there already <laughs> but she, she's Native American and I wanted to put that in without stomping out of my lane I wanted to be really respectful but I thought that doing that and trying to find um, a paranormal character that I could wrap around her would be something that would make writing romance interesting to me because I would be 
really invested in that, the way she came across and how she presented herself and what she felt in her heart was authentic and a little bit unusual. She's not sissy going out to the ranch and meeting the cowboy and she's not, you know, Urban Sally running into Edgar in the coffee shop. This is, it, okay, so in the Navajo Nation, and that's not, my girlfriend is not Navajo, but um, in the Navajo Nation, they have something that's called the Skinwalker. And this lore is tight. They don't talk about it. It's not for the public consumption. And I, it was very respectful. But I looked at that as saying, I can probably create something whole cloth, whole, bourbon, whole cloth out of this. That, um, cheers. so much better. I can probably create a whole cloth out of this that is going to be my creation, not disrespectful, but I can I can give her qualities and abilities that'll make my story work. And so I wanted it to be this is supposed to be a fierce entity in their, in their culture. So I made her really a badass, but at the same time um, this is a this is a complex individual, deeply steeped in her culture, respecting her her vows within that culture, and having to navigate a relationship that she warned celibacy. She wasn't going to ever be able to do anything with this, and yet she meets somebody, and this it doesn't so much make her question everything. But it makes her decide to seek permission to grow. And so she has to end up in that book. This is a tiny book. The Magic Mexico and Susan's World. This woman circles back around and goes back into a fire with a old the tribe and asks permission to leave her vow of celibacy. And for me, getting to that point in the book, that was powerful. Because, yeah, it was a perfect magic connection, lighthearted, had all this. Stuff. At the same time, it's just a thread of, I, I, I cannot be dishonest. I can't make a promise and forsake it. And it's not even that anybody's watching over my shoulder or anybody even remembers me. I'm so old. I've lived hundreds and hundreds of years. And I've done good things and bad things. But I, I'm seeking my freedom. This is maybe a title I put on myself, but it's through honor. And I, I just loved her. And I thought, I can't let this can't let her go. <laughs> so I put her back in a book two and book three, and off we went to the races, you know? <laughs> I think that's I fantastic. Well, well, let's talk about your writing process. Um, do you like to, like, when, what is your ideal perfect writing setup? Like that you're like, I am in my zone. Well, I live on a boat. And oh, okay. So my perfect writing setup is water. I'm a, I'm a happy little Pisces in a boat or I'm a happy little Pisces sitting by the beach. Um, I write really well in aquatic environments. So right now I live, uh, our boat's, in a harbor about seven miles up from the Gulf of Mexico on a little river in, in Florida. And it's great. 
birds in the spring and all these gators, donkey, donkey sex and all this stuff. You know, gators have to be too. And but it, the, to me, I think the peace and water just sets my state. And so I just, I really don't, um, I get an inspiration usually, like on, okay, this is a good story. I'll tell you this. So I was living in my condo in Daytona Beach, and I wasn't too far from a little uh, pier bar called um, Krabby Joe's, which is down on the Sunglow Pier. Uh, so it's way south of Maine, Daytona. It's not up by all the... Um, but I'm sure they're having a great time party. It's great that they're loud. And I write, so I like quiet. Um, but anyway, so I walked down to the pier to get dinner. Because, you know, why not? I was single at the point, and I got to eat food. So I walked down to the pier, and I'm sitting at the bar, and I get a salad with fish on it. And it's like one of those days where the waves are just like rocking and rolling, man. So we got coming in and it's a pier bar so the timbers like they move right and they do shit and the waves and the waves don't come in like whoop, whoop. waves come in like whoop, 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 whoop. so the whole thing's kind of doing the groove you know and so I'm sitting there at the bar and I'm on bourbon number two and my salad hasn't come up yet so it's going to be a good salad even if it's not and there's a row of pegs over my head and on these pegs are beer pitchers. So the pier is doing all this, what it's doing. And the pitchers are like, and I'm like, drinking a bourbon, drinking a bourbon, sit at the pitcher. And on all of a sudden, they started to, like, little groups of them would get in sync. And then more of them got in sync. And all of a sudden, the whole freaking world in sync. And I'm looking up at this and I'm like, <laughs> and then I like, oh shit. And I grabbed my phone and I opened up my notes and I just started pounding out ideas. And my salad sitting there feeling sad because it's been collected. And I'm like, I probably took 700 words of notes. Back. Wow, that's a lot. And I started it that night. So. That's awesome. But, you know, that's a great inspiration. Sometimes it's a photograph, you know. Most of my romances, I find either one of my main characters. And I'll be like, oh. oh. And, uh, and then the story, like the physical attributes might fold around that character's appearance after I make sure that it's not going to cost me or he's not going to cost me a mint because I, I went down that road, unfortunately one time picked an expensive one. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, because Shutterstock apparently has like the high end and the low end and I got one high end and I'm like that's expensive. Oh wow. But um my cover artist is so she breaks with me but um anyway it, it, you know a little bit of inspiration is all I need and then if I'm writing if an idea pops in my head, I use Google Docs. I'll just highlight a little piece of text and I'll write the idea down and I just keep going. And if I need a fact 
and it's I think I can get it fast. I'll stop and go get the pack and drop it in. You know, if I need a date or if I need a, a explanation for you know a specific Greek figure or who, you know, those Greeks they was a big party back then. They're they're nailing everything that moves. So you know, keeping a lineage is a little complicated. I'm not a historian, so I'm more than willing to double check, make sure you know. So and so is such and such dad and whatever, but um, and then it, I get to a certain point, usually about at the one third to the one halfway point, where none of that even matters anymore. The whole thing's going to fall out, and then I'll come back in. I mean, I like the second half of my manuscript will just have little highlights, and the comment box will just say "fix" or "look it up." Or what you know, it's then I'm not doing it anymore. It's like oh, we're on. Unless I absolutely need that fact I need, I don't get them. I fix it all at the end. So you're writing series. I gotta ask this question. How do you know what you put in the previous books? What do you do when you're writing the next one? Do you go back and read them? What do you do? No, I keep a Bible. That's a shared Google editor. Both add to it. Um, and it's everything. It's how do I capitalize things? I'm a total squirrel. So in one, in like, for example, in book one, I capitalize the name of the bar, the boogie. And then in book two, none of the buzz is capitalized. Then he's like, excuse me, <laughs> would you like this to be consistent? <laughs> like, why, yes, I would. <laughs> So that's when the story Bible was born. So I then I did go back and go through book one and put in a lot of stuff. And then with book two, I added to it. And now it's like, I actually keep the story Bible up next to my working manuscript. And I'll just like, I won't necessarily stop my brain and put stuff in it, but I'll just paste a paragraph, paste a paragraph, paste a paragraph over. And then if I'm not writing, I'll go back in and clean it up because it helps us both be able to, you know, I mean, she'll give me 10 days or two weeks if I need to edit, but most of the time my timeline doesn't allow it. I, you know, um, my process is once I complete a manuscript, um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in providing aid. I know they're constantly teaching stuff and some weeks they're better than others, but the tools within that program are just superior. The way they you can catch the echoes and, and catch the funky alliterations and it just everything. I use every single tool in that book, um, in that site, just about. Um, I don't use like I, I don't write write with a uh, abbreviation like what police departments or military use, but pretty much everything else. And it hasn't made me a better writer. Uh, because now I realize when I go through, I'm just going to fix it much because I mentally have excised gerunds from my existence and, you know, things like that. So I, I, you know, I can give my editor a really clean name when she does she'll do a line item or a line edit, but it, and she does a developmental play, but, but her line edit is pretty clean. So I get a lot more of her time and attention on my actual story. And that helps me really a manuscript that's going to take my readers all the way up, drop them all the way down, bring them back up, 
drop them down. I'm no, I want to ride a roller coaster every time. Because when they come looking around the corner and they come back in and have to get out, I want them to be sad it's over. Very cool. I love it. Okay. We have we are we are at the end. What advice would you give writers out there? Believe in yourself. Be prepared that you aren't as good as you think you are, but that you can be. And like what you're doing. Don't do this. Be, living a creative life is complicated financially sometimes for people. It can be frustrating. Um, but if you are one of the fortunate few who can be a creative, you are blessed. You actually are living a dream. You are not working in a cubicle. You are not filling the spreadsheet. You are not counting the vacation days. You have given yourself permission to live a full and complete human life. So do that and be as good at your craft as you can be. Very cool. I like that. That is very poetic. Very poetic. Okay, how do people find your books? Shameless well, self-promotion time. So okay. Well, my website is W I have a all books tab there where you can see everything that I'm doing and what's going on and get on my newsletter, which is a lot of fun. But I'm I publish wide. So I'm on Amazon, Apple, Barnes and Noble, Nook. Um, if you are financially not able to buy books and you'd like to go to your library, please tell your library that I'm on overdrive and they can order my books into your library and you can read them for free. Very, very cool. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. You are so much fun. <laughs> <You're urban. laughs> <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter. Mine, mine is my lightning. Oh my goodness. Okay, I can... I'm going to remember this at the end here. Okay. This has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. Our sponsor today has got me drunk. And that is <laughs> Brother Spirits. And if you go to gunkbrotherspirits.com, wow, I should stop trying to do this at the end. Um, and type in DWA10, get 10% off your order. My co-host today has been C.R. Rice. And our amazing, amazing guest today has been Winnie Winkle, and we will see you guys next time.